We can be found on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Like, share, subscribe, and leave us a comment down below. Now, on with the show. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. Fucking thing. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Right. Fuck it. Death Holler is a horror cast created by two true horror fans to bring to the table your favorite horror films. Topics include, but are not limited to, historical horror, gore, the occult, and terror. Listener discretion is advised. Finally, time to get into the film discussion for the night. Uh, the film we are discussing this episode is The Omen, the 1976 film, uh, a.k.a. The Birthmark. A little bit of behind-the-scenes trivia. This movie was originally called The The Birthmark, and it was I mean, only it when the sense. movie... Yeah, well, it was about the 666 birthmark that Damien you know, has in the movie. Uh, they only changed the title whenever they started filming in the hospital at the beginning of the scenes that are at the beginning of the movie. And apparently, and they never really elaborated on this, but every time they would say the birthmark, it would like freak out all of the women that were in the hospital. So they had to come up with a way of talking around what they were naming it. So one of the person said, oh, you know, made the comment, well, the birthmark is an omen for what's to come. And then they were just like, let's call it the omen. And then the, everybody was fine with it after that. So that's the reason the it's called that. It's is history. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, it's inspired uh, by an idea from, uh, and I hate, I, I can't really figure out what this guy was. He's been like, I mean, all kinds of Hollywood stuff. He was a child actor in Indianapolis, moved to, but anyways, the guy's name's Robert Munger. He was a born again Christian. He had a couple of films that related to uh, Christian, you know, uh, topics and he just uh, one day went to the, the producer, uh, Harvey Bernard, and uh, said, uh, hey, I got this idea. What if the Antichrist from Revelation was, like, living right now? And what if he was a child? And then, you know, Harvey Bernard was just like, oh, shit, that's an idea for a movie. So that's kind of what got all this started. Um, it's uh, directed by Richard Donner, uh, Superman fame, uh, which is funny because I watched a video where a, a critic, a film critic, was interviewing Gregory Peck for the film, and he keeps talking about, like, who's the director for this film? And Gregory Peck's like, you know, and it, I, you got to watch some of the stuff with Gregory Peck. He's like the classic, like, charismatic, like, old-school, classy Hollywood, you know, actor. He's just like, well, he's this upcoming director, you know, like, he's all proper when he talks, and, like, you know, and he's talking about how Richard Donner's, like, worked on a few things, but he's got, you know, a real uh, talent behind him, and this, and it's just funny hearing this critic say, I've never heard of the guy. I don't know what this guy's done, and I'm just sitting there, I'm like, he's done fucking Superman, but, it, of course, that was later, you know, it's just kind of funny listening because this movie is what gave him the, you know, the, uh, you know, the credibility to actually go on and and do the films that he later did. The screenplay is by David Seltzer, uh, of course, again produced by Harvey Bernard. Uh, music by Gary Golds or Jerry Goldsmith, uh, and of course, it's the famous Ave Satani, uh, Gregorian chant that, that plays over the film, and it's actually an Academy Award-winning song for the best musical slash original score. 
which is kind of a big deal, especially for a horror film like uh, well, Goldsmith. It is. It just <laughs> adds so much to the movie, honestly. It's it's classic. I mean, anytime. I mean, if you you know any movie that can get like that classic, you know, like thing that ties it, and you know us like, oh, that's that movie. But I mean, you know, everybody. Tubular bells. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, if if they can get it and it works, and and this just, I mean, that that chant, it just hit exactly what they wanted from it. It just had that creepy, like, oh, this is like some kind of Roman, you know, uh, you know. Uh, uh, practice that's being done and you know there's and, and, and something bad's going to happen it, it's just got that feel to it uh funny thing about that is though uh goldsmith uh, when talking about this of course this was his like first academy award he won for and and like being nominated for like 16 times prior it was like one of his first ones so it's crazy that it was on this film but he goes on to talk about how he's like when he uh, interpreted this movie and he tried to get a feel for like what he wanted it to be like as far as an emotion that he tied to the film. He said he wanted it to be he his emotion that he tied to this film was a love emotion, like the love for the parents for the child and like love between like Gregory Peck and Lee Remick. And it's just kind of like, dude, I don't know where you came up with that, given what we saw in the film. But good on you. <laughs> I'm for... glad you said that. <laughs> I'm like, just I like. Mean... I know that that was the intent, but the execution <laughs> of it, not so good. Well, maybe he's meaning like the rest of the score, like the little instrumentals he did through the rest of the film, but you don't get that from Ave Satani. It, mm-hmm. That's definitely not a love. That's like a very, uh, there's like a predatory feeling about it. You, you, it's, it's, if you want to use the term Lovecraftian, something bad is about to get summoned from this ritual that they're you know <laughs> chanting about. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, the principal players in the movie are, uh, of course, Gregory Peck. I, got, I mean, I, I'm on, you know, Willis Damien uh, a little bit later down. I, I'm going to get into this, but I don't feel like Damien's really the star of this film. He uh, sure isn't. My, There's a my, long stretch where he wasn't even in it. Exactly. Uh, my pick for this movie is Gregory Peck. He is literally the person, I would call him the linchpin of the film, and we'll get into that a yeah. little bit later too in Behind the Scenes. But he is what holds this movie together. He's what gives this movie the credibility it has. And, um, of course, he plays the father, uh, Robert Thorne, uh, the American ambassador. uh, Classic American actor. He played in a ton of classic films, westerns, war movies. uh, Most notably in To Kill a Mockingbird. He is forever known as Atticus Finch. That is his Mm -hmm. primary thing that he's known for. He also played uh, the, the title role of MacArthur in that film. And uh, funny enough, for horror fans, he played in the original Cape Fear, not the one later. I remember later, that. But, but he was the in original the original. was good. I don't know. I mean, I, I imagine you've seen it, but holy hell. The uh, suspense <laughs> in the first one was really good. Yeah, so it's, it's it's I mean, they 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 lucked up when they got him. And I mean, a little bit behind the scenes of how they got him, it just so happened that Harvey Bernard was like friends with the agent for Gregory Peck. And they got to talking, and 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 the agent convinced uh, Peck to you know do the film, and everything else fell into place after. It's literally wait, them wait, getting wait. Gregory Peck. You're saying the agency got him? <laughs> the agency how got convenient. him. How <laughs> convenient. Uh, but it, literally everybody who joined on to the movie I, I was like, "Oh, you got Gregory Peck? Oh, hell yeah, I'll do the movie." That's basically that's the reason I call him the linchpin. Not only did he hold this movie together as an actor, but he got every other actor in this movie to agree to sign on to do it. Just mm, because, okay. like, you know, they were like, "Atticus Finch is doing this," then sign me up because this has to be pretty damn good. Oh, you have some fucking clout. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, Lee Remick uh, plays Catherine Thorne, the uh, the mother in the film. She was a very established actor actress of her own. Uh, she was in a lot of classic uh, Hollywood movies. Uh, her most notable film, I've not heard of most of her films. I'm just going to throw this out there. They're not my type of movies, but her most notable film was, uh, was Days of Wines or of Wine and Roses, which, uh, won Academy Award nominations across the board. It was like some kind of romantic comedy, basically, uh, where she starred ap- opposite Jack Lemmon, who I primarily know from like the grumpy old men movies. Grumpy old men. <laughs> <laughs> but at one point in time, apparently he was a heartthrob. So imagine that. Um, okay. And she also, and I, I'm not meaning this in a misogynistic way, I just, I've never heard of her other movies, but I have heard of some of the actors she starred with. She was in movies with Steve McQueen and Jimmy Stewart, you know, amongst others. Um, and sadly, she died at a relatively young age. She was uh, 55 when she passed away from, I believe it was kidney cancer. Um, and so it, that's kind of uh, bad to hear. I mean, because I was looking and I was like, well, she didn't have a very long, you know, and then uh, then I read like, you know, when she died. And I was like, that's crazy. Because like David Warner, who's the next one in the film, I mean, he's still producing stuff. I mean, you know, the guy's still out there acting. Um, and uh, he played Keith Jennings, a uh, prolific English actor. Um, he has been in everything. If you've seen him, if you've not seen a movie with David Warner in it or heard him as like a a voiceover artist and something that I don't, you must live under a rock. Cause he, I, every time I see a movie, I'm like, there he is. There he is. He, another role. Um, just listing some of the things he's been in, uh, just a smidge of it. Time bandits. Uh, that's a great little, uh, uh, comedy film, kind of a dark comedy film, uh, from one of the, uh, main writers from, uh, Monty Python, uh, a Christmas Carol, the 1984 version. He played Bob Cratchit in that film. Um, uh, Waxwork, that's a horror film that some people might know. Had like a, a, a Zach Galligan, I believe is his name. The the guy who starred in Gremlins was also in Waxwork. Uh, that's a, it's a pretty fun little film. Uh, and then some of the older films he did from Beyond the Grave. Uh, he was also in Scream 2. Uh, that's kind of a, a newer one he's done. Black Death, that's been just a, like three or four years back now. That had a, a, a Edward... Uh, What's that guy's the actor's name? Uh, the one that dies all the time. It plays uh, that played Boromir. It's uh, Sean Bean. Uh, he was he's in that film, and that's a very dark uh, kind of witch film, basically set in like medieval times. Have you seen that movie, Urena? No, but it sounds like one we need to review. <laughs> It it's uh, definitely for the witch season because I mean it, yeah. it's one of those it's one of those movies where it plays it like you know there's this you know small secluded medieval town who's just going crazy with witch madness you know like we talked about you know in our last episode and uh, you know and Sean Bean and some of these other knights are sent there and they're like oh it's you know these peasants are going crazy again and they're accusing each other of being witches but they kind of do have a witch in this movie and it kind of goes it's bad for everybody involved. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course, David Warner was in Titanic, one of the biggest films ever, one of the highest box, you know, office grossing movies ever. So, I mean, you've Never seen heard it. Of it. <laughs> um, Never heard of it. I, he, uh, was hired in this movie mainly because Richard Donner was just, uh, thought he was a great actor and, and was one of his favorite movies ever. He listed as this movie called Morgan, which I've never heard of. It's a British film, but he was just so enamored with the film. And whenever he was heard that David Warner, uh, signed on to be in it, of course, David Warner signed on because of Gregory Peck. But, uh, when he, when they got Warner, he was just, uh, Donner couldn't believe it. He was, it's almost like a fanboy moment for the, the actor, or, I mean, the director himself to even get this, uh, actor in the movie. 
And of course, in the film, I, I kind of list him as the Van Helsing of the film. He's kind of the one that goes around and gives like the, the background lore that, you know, is needed to educate both the main character and the audience about what's actually going on behind the scenes. And I don't know about you, but just getting a little critique of the movie, I feel like the scenes with David Warner and Gregory Peck are the best in the film. And I don't really like most of uh, the other uh, scenes that don't have the two of them together. Um, I have or to agree with much. you because when they finally connected in the film, other than, you know, Jennings taking photos and stuff like that, that's when I felt like, okay, we're getting somewhere. Yeah, and they have a good chemistry together. They work well together in the movie. It's you, it's almost like they're old friends somehow, even though they've, they've only worked in the story of the movie. They've only worked together. It's just like uh, Jennings is like this uh basically a press photographer that takes pictures for the newspapers and of course Gregory Peck's the ambassador that everybody wants to have the picture of and it's but they they just fall in line together like instantly it's it's kind of an I mean and I, I just love their scenes but you know that's we'll get into a little bit more of that later next actress in the film because I got a list her is Billy Whitelaw who plays Mrs. Baylock the agency mm-hmm. nanny <laughs> <laughs> She, of all the people in the film, I would list her as the true villain. Uh, you could sit there and say what you want to about Damien being the Antichrist, but who actually does most of the prob- or killing in the movie? It's not Damien. <laughs> I mean, if you want to... She's facilitating a lot. I, I would even argue there's a scene later on in the movie where I think she triggers Damien to do what he does, and, and if you want to blame the near-fatal kill... It's not even on Damien because she's got this weird eye thing she does. It's supposed to symbolize she's mesmerizing people. And the movie goes out of its way to show her doing that right before she lets Damien go on his little tricycle and, you know, does what he does. She's literally directing him with her eyes or her ESPN or whatever the hell she has that she's talking (laughs) him. And she is both... One, I mean, as the villain, she's got a hard role to play, but she's both the, uh, like the the thing that keeps the movie al- going along, but she's also the thing I end up I, I hate the most about the movie. And oh yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later. But I, it's it's and I wish they would have did something a little bit different with her direction. But that's that's a whole other argument. Um, she has been in a ton of. Uh, horror films, uh, The Flesh and the Fiends, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which she starred in opposite Jack Palance. And funny thing enough about that, Jack Palance is the father to Holly Palance, who plays the first nanny in the movie, the one that, you know, ends up committing suicide. So it's kind of funny that uh, (laughs) Billy... Oh, that works out. Yeah, it's like such a small world there. Uh, And I didn't know this until I was looking it up. She was actually the voice of one of the main people or puppets in a dark crystal have you seen that movie not the original one i started watching the netflix one though well <laughs> so you, shame you'll, on me well, well that's fine but uh, you know the character of agra you know the the lady who lo- who's doing the the kind of the oracle she's the one that's not really a gelfling but she's uh trying to protect the planet they live on and she's got like the, the she was the one that noticed the skexies first or whatever in that film uh, loses an eye during part of it. I, I don't know how to really describe her otherwise. Uh, anyways, in the original she film, played the she, original? she played the original uh, Agra. She was the voice for that, that character. I thought that was kind of neat. Um, hmm. And she's also in Hot Fuzz uh, with, you know, uh, uh, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. I don't know if you saw that movie, but uh, it's a great little riff on uh, uh, cop films, if you want to say. 
and uh, she she plays this older like character uh, that. It's basically my favorite line in the movie is that she she likes to say uh, when she first meets Simon Pegg's character, she makes the comment, nice arse, you know, kind of talking <laughs> about his <laughs> and like later on, like things turn take a turn and she becomes kind of an evil character. Spoiler alert. And she becomes basically Mrs. Baylock in another form, just an older form. And, Shit. uh, and she calls Simon Pegg an arse another time, but man, in a totally different way. So it's just oh. kind of a nice, you know, twist. Um, but anyways, like I said, I, I think she's the true villain of this film. I don't, uh, you know, I don't think that Damien is, but, uh, and I don't He's think that's the, the power, but she's the facilitator of it. Well, I mean, if we want to go by the intent of the screenwriter, David Seltzer, he said he intended Damien to be a quote-unquote innocent villain. And if you watch the movie, mm. really, it's true. I mean, there's yeah. nothing that Damien does on his own. I mean, he's totally innocent of anything that happens in the film. I mean, he his own his own power scares him. He doesn't know that he has the power, but the things that are happening, they legitimately scare him. Yeah, he's just a kid, and he don't know what's going on around him. It's kind of a sad movie in a way. <laughs> um, the one I wanted to mention uh, before we get to the Damien is uh, Patrick Trotton. Uh, he plays Father Brennan in this movie. He's great at playing a crazy character. I'll just put it put <laughs> that for him. But he kind of played a crazy character in a way anyways because he played the second Doctor in the Doctor Who series. Uh, you know, he was the very second Doctor. I mean, it was right after they decided to do this, which was revolutionary for the time just getting into Doctor Who just a tiny bit when they decided to get rid of the the main uh, the, the first actor who played the Doctor they were like well we can't recast him because he is the Doctor and they came up with an idea well, like well, he's an alien what if when he re- quote unquote regenerates when he dies he just morphs into another body and so Patrick Trotton was the first person to carry that over and become the, the same character just embodied in a different persona and that's kind of led to over 50 years of, of the of Doctor Who basically so it's kind of I mean he was so one... nuts I cannot I have not Doctor Who'd so <laughs> but you know near dear friend of ours uh, Daphne and the Scooby gang she she talks about it all the time she's really trying to get me on that train so it's it's a very interesting series um i just think it's funny because like the 11th doctor which is the one that got me into it uh uh, uh he based his character uh on patrick trotton's version of the doctor it was kind of funny because like he you know patrick trotton's character kind of had like the mo you know from larry you know or the, i guess yeah the mo from the three stooges haircut so he kind of looked goofy that way but he had like a bow tie that he wore and he was just kind of like a slouchy looking character and uh and and the 11th doctor took that and he took the bow tie and that kind of weird you know character ticks and kind of made another version of it so i think it's kind of you know it was a tribute to uh, Patrick Trotton's, uh, you know, acting that he that he did that. So I think that's kind of cool. Um, he was actually in a horror movie back in you know like the Hammer Horror film days called The Scars of Dracula. So he does have some you know horror bona fides prior to this film. And we get to the last, and I don't, I mean, I wouldn't say least, but he's in the movie the least. Uh, Harvey Spencer Stevens, Damien Thorne. Uh, well, he might be the the only other person in this movie that's that's in it less than him is Holly Palance and <laughs> the original nanny. But this apparently was his only his only big movie role. I couldn't find anything else about it uh, otherwise on IMDb. 
And it's funny how he got the job. Uh, Richard Donner was like, okay, we need a kid who can just like attack and, and look like he, you know, he's like this evil bastard. So uh, I, he had this idea that he would yell, attack me whenever he started filming. And uh, the kid that would attack him the, the most uh, was the one that got the job. And little Harvey Spencer came in and <laughs> little Harvey Spencer Stevens came in. And when he yelled, uh, uh, go for it, uh, Harvey went straight for the director's nuts. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he would not stop even after they yelled cut. And little asshole. And, yeah. And after uh, Donner finally got him, you know, pulled away, he was like, hire that kid. Now he's the one. <laughs> oh, my God. The, the, this is... I don't know this this is history repeating itself but if you look him up on you know Google now the primary thing that comes up is that in 2017 he was actually arrested for road rage because some cyclists got in his way apparently he got out and he started throwing punches at them so apparently he you know, the thing that got him, got him famous is you know he's still doing it's it kept he's still him attacking famous. yeah <laughs> look at I've I feel you, okay, Harvey, because cyclists are assholes. They're sitting in there on the road, like, you don't see me here with my bike? Like, uh, you don't see me here with my car? <laughs> Get out of the way. <laughs> I'm glad he punched them. They're lucky they didn't, that he didn't run them over. Uh, they're lucky he didn't, like, summon some Rottweilers and have them ripped to pieces. Mm, but they... <laughs> little hellhounds, yeah. Yeah. Um. But I think it's time now, after going through the people that's in the movie, before we get into discussing the individual scenes that we liked or disliked about the film, that we have a little bit of lore with Urena. Take it away. Lore with ya. La Yarena. That's, that's a, like a new segment, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of information on Nephilims, and I read at least the first top three things that come up. Uh, and it's just... One of those things, again, that's all over the place. So I'm going to start with what you and I both know, and most people know as a Nephilim, and not just not just our near and dear friend Jack Klein, a.k.a. God now. <laughs> <laughs> son oh, of Chuck. spoiler alerts. <laughs> grandson of Chuck. Sorry, grandson of Chuck. He's, he's, grandson of he's, Chuck, yes. Yeah. Um, is that what we know is that Nephilims are typically when an angel – and a human love each other very much, they get together and they make a little baby. And that little baby has the power to be, I mean, a superhuman by all means, but it can go either really, really bad or really good. I don't know if there's a, a happy medium. I don't know if Jack ended up being a happy medium. I think he did. But I think he had way more good in him than bad. I, I, I want to say he was pure good. Um. When you look up Nephilims, one of the first descriptions that comes up, they were described as giants. I want to say that was in Greek mythology. They were giants. And really nothing more. They didn't really kind of get into the whole celestial, and they probably do. It's just I wasn't going to go down that rabbit hole <laughs> to find out if a Nephilim. Now, were they regular giants, or were they like the titans that they had in like Greek lore? That's, that, uh, that's something that I've never been able to like, you know, figure out. Cause I mean, I feel like the size that they give for those, at least biblically, uh, is more like, you know, 10 foot, something like that, which is not quite the size of what the Greeks had the Titans, you know, made out to be. So definitely not Titans. I'm going to go with big titty vampire lady from the new resident <laughs> evil village. Uh, she's around nine or 10 feet. They actually, I saw a drawing in one of the articles that I had read and it looked like a really tall basketball player next to maybe 
a child or somebody my height. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I would say. So basically, oh, Mr. Mr. Ullman from The House of the Devil versus Jocelyn, you know, for, or Samantha from that movie, just kind of that's the height discrepancy, give or take. Perfect right. example. Yes. They were just a little bit taller, too. It wasn't like they were massively bigger in size, so they weren't like double the width either. They were literally just like really tall people. Um, in Wikipedia, uh, Nephilims were also described basically as fallen angels. And I don't know... It was so here and there in the fallen angel section because it was like fallen angels that then had sex specifically with women. So I'm going to go with a fallen male angel that had sex with a female woman, human on earth, which then created a Nephilim. Uh, In another section, they're described as heavenly beings from angels that have left the, excuse me, came to earth and had sexual intercourse with women. That was the description, which I found to be hilarious because I'm like, so what you're saying is that a woman angel can't come down, ascend from heaven and have sex with a man and make a Nephilim. And that's basically (laughs) what I had gotten from that. But, you know, who knows? Because we don't have a female angel yet in, in any kind of lore that has, as far as I know, given birth to a Nephilim. Uh, let me see. There are some in the Jerusalem Bible. There's lots of talks about Nephilims in the Jerusalem Bible in the, um, oh God, why can't I think of the Quran? There we go. Literally Nephilims are big talk. Uh, there's a book of Enoch in the, uh, Jerusalem Bible, literally an entire book about Nephilims with all kinds of lore. Uh, another section describes how they are descendants of Seth and Cain. Okay. So just a descendant. I'm like, I guess you don't have to have an angel, maybe. I'm guessing. I so don't know. So they're, bas- they're basically saying that Nephilim, in that case, carry the mark of Cain or something to that effect? <laughs> they didn't say the mark of Cain specifically. They just said specifically descendants of Seth and Cain. Okay. Um, and then my favorite bit of lore that I took away from all of this, before I bring up just a few characters in modern culture, but my <laughs> the favorite thing I took away was there was literally a debate about, a Christian debate about Nephilims. And the argument stated that angels don't marry, so Nephilims can't exist. And the rebuttal was, well, only angels in heaven don't marry. There's nothing specifying that angels on earth don't marry. And make Nephilims. And I'm not joking when I say this is a legitimate argument in Christian history. I can imagine the things they (laughs) argued about. (laughs) So that's what we learned from that. Now, of course, I can't talk about Nephilims without bringing up our very own Jack Klein, who was the son of Lucifer, also the son of, oh my God, what was his human name? In Uh, in Supernatural. Started with a C, didn't it? Um or a K-like sound. Yes, you're right. It did, but I can't think of it right now. Oh my god, I have to. I have to Google it now. Don't worry, I'll cut all this out and make us sound like we're smart. <laughs> I just forgot, honestly. I did too. It, he, all it says is "son of Lucifer" and Kelly Klein is like, "Well, who was Lucifer?" Dang it. Okay. Well, whatever. So, uh, Jack Klein, who is the son of Lucifer and Kelly Klein. When she died while giving birth to him, uh, and he, uh, spoiler alert, he grew 
to eventually be our very own and loving God uh, <laughs> that we that we know of. Um, and then the other Nephilim who has, as far as I know, and I mean, you follow Lucifer, don't you? You're caught up. The yes. show. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have baby Charlie, who is oh, the ba- yes. the child of Ametadil. And, oh, God, I forget what the, the mom's name is. She's human. Again, human women, male <laughs> <laughs> celestials. Um, and they are concerned that the baby is going to have powers, but not one character has described this baby as a Nephilim or has been concerned with what kind of powers the baby will get. Because in Supernatural, we know it was a huge issue of how powerful of a being that Jack would be. Yeah, they had a whole season dedicated to the lore that they sent around angels like Castiel at one point in time to hunt down and kill any Nephilims that were produced prior because there was always the threat that they would destroy everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they do have the ability, so, uh, but nothing yet in Lucifer. So, really, I don't know that they're going to go that route, and I don't know if they're avoiding it because of the fact of how big Supernatural was and how big that Jack is. So, I think they're just going to leave it. Who knows how it's going to end? I know that they're concluding the show soon. I think they have, what, another season and a half? Um, I, I don't know about the half season, but maybe I know it's they've got one full season left. I remember it, and they did kind of hint that this was just the half season that they did that kind of ended in a cliffhanger. Okay, so they're not going to finish season five allegedly, or, or or where they ended it was the end of season five. That's Possibly. what I was really confused about, honestly. Possibly, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they said they were going to give them enough to finish it out, but it almost sounded like they were going to give them maybe five, seven more episodes or something like that. I don't know that they gave them much more leeway than that, but I think they can wrap it up. And I'm pretty sure Daphne told us that they were actually filming season six already, so that would make sense. Uh, And if you try to Google it, it's all over the place, honestly. (laughs) So anyways, moving on, that is the little bit of lore with La Arena that I have on Nephilim's. Really nothing super, super great. We could really go on a three-hour tangent on Nephilims because with all the different books on Nephilims, with all the different religious backgrounds and what they believe is a Nephilim, it, it, it's a rabbit hole that we definitely, <laughs> we would have to dedicate some major time to. Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, there's a lot of uh, different cultures and beliefs and all that, that that ties into that. So that's kind of a, you know, a, whole, a story for another day, basically. Um, yep. They don't really, I mean... I know that it doesn't classify it as such because it's supposed to be directly from God, but it wasn't Jesus delivered by, you know, to Mary by an angel? Like, wasn't there something, you know, you know, doesn't it kind of skirt the edge of being a Nephilim in that, in that story? I mean, Chuck, damn you, because I never freaking ever thought about that. I never... <laughs> yes, she basically was, well... She was the human vessel. I wonder if it's different because technically there was no intercourse involved. But to me, it's the same thing. She gave birth to a celestial being that was implanted in her, whether, you know, naturally or artificially. And Jesus is a Nephilim. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. (laughs) If you go by the right, how they kind of describe it. it it's it, it's tangential i mean it's 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 next to a bit of in a, in a roundabout i mean and he's an all-powerful being allegedly so oh my could, god my mind is blown yeah. right now <laughs> well um, jesus is him again 
<laughs> do you have anything else uh, as far as your lore segment or uh that's all i have on that okay well speaking of blowing somebody's mind let's start about one of the big scenes in this film like right after the big ave satani uh opening and we have a few scenes you know between you know setting up the film I'm just going to go right into it. Uh, when the original nanny, uh, as her scene, that's probably one of my favorites in the whole film. I mean, and, you know, she has her mind blown by the Rottweiler, apparently. And, um, you know, that I just love that scene where they're all like, they're having this fun little day for Damien. It's his fifth birthday. And all of a sudden you hear, look at me, Damien. It's all for you. And <laughs> she and jumps off the roof. like she's hot. That, <laughs> I'm so glad you said that's your favorite scene. That is legitimately my favorite scene. It is so fucking dark of a scene. And, I mean, in my opinion, really well done. Although, most people at the party, they didn't even look scared. They kind of just looked like, ugh, she ruined the party. <laughs> I mean, if you well, look at the- some of the faces around. Well, the reason for that, I think, is is because Donner, I think, in the behind the scenes talked about they they had everybody moved away, so the they those were pickup scenes they had of the reactions. The mm-hmm. only people was there was Holly and the people that were filming it. But the scary thing about it was is she legit dropped off of that. They had her in a oh, harness, shit. like she was oh, that okay. high up, and they just put her in a harness. And they's like, she said, if she'd been like an established established actress at the time she probably wouldn't agree to it but she was kind of like well this is my big break so i'm just gonna go all out and she i mean stepped off that roof i i wouldn't have been able to do it so more power to her but (laughs) good for her you know what i have to give her credit to for the uh hellhound and uh hellhound and nanny stare down she gave i mean that was intense (laughs) but i have to say that dog looked was just way too adorable to be scary like, do you remember, oh, God, there was a scary movie with uh, with a, um, oh, God, what kind of dog is this? Rottweiler. I forget what the movie was called, but it was with a really rabid Rottweiler. And this dog was literally just a friendly dog. I mean, it had a few growls and barks, but that was about it. Well, the behind the scenes on the, the Rottweiler stuff, this is getting a little uh, to a scene later, actually. But there's a scene later at the that we'll you know talk about that was at the cemetery where the Rottweilers attacking a big pack. Um, they Richard Donner's uh, kind of laughs whenever he talks about that scene because he said the dogs were basically just kind of moping around and humping each other most of that scene. It took forever. <laughs> <laughs> he said it took forever to actually get them to actually attack anybody because they were just so passive. Um, and it's just, and he said that they had to add in like the growling and the, you know, the, the other sounds, the barking sounds and posts to kind of make them seem scarier than they were. He's like, you would, if you'd been there that day filming, you'd got no horror from that scene whatsoever. They literally were just like trying to establish their dominance the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it just, I kind of think that's funny. That's probably what happened with this one. It was like, uh. Uh, you know, they, they just had a, you know, a big lovable dog that didn't really, you know, you know, they, and it's, doesn't come off as being that scary just because of it. Oh my God. And a little bit, uh, an extra thing behind the scenes, they were actually supposed to be German shepherds. Uh, they originally, uh, had planned on bringing them over from the U S they had a bunch trained. Uh, there was some kind of law in Europe that said that they had a quarantine on any live animals that came over for six months. They, they couldn't hold up production for six months. So they got the Rottweilers. I think they're right. 
I, I mean, they add to the movie. I mean that you know they're the the you know they're big bulky you know and everything else. So they they add some menace the way they filmed it. Yeah, they're not as adorable and cuddly as I I was I was just joking about a few minutes ago. <laughs> um, as soon as I saw that dog, I immediately thought Hellhound. So yeah, that's you know, basically what they I, I think it did a good movie. job. Yeah, I don't know the dog's name. I definitely googled the dog didn't have a name. I'm gonna call him Brutus. <laughs> Brutus did a good job. Good job, Brutus. The next scene I, that stood out for me was the zoo scene. I know that's skipping ahead quite a bit, but that the zoo scene uh, with the, the in particular the baboons attacking, I thought that was a standout scene in the movie. Monkeys are assholes. They are little <laughs> assholes. But you know what? I'm going to say about this scene, yes, really well done. Uh, I was surprised that they didn't throw in like her running over one, obviously not for real, but for fakesies, but for the, the appeal. I don't feel like they had enough of those like random twists that would just make you go, oh my God, you know? I feel like the the lady dropping to her suicide was the only real shocker we got. That And that's why that one stands out to me as the best scene uh, as far as like the, the horror element because it just comes out of nowhere and it's so, it's it's more graphic than the rest of the movie. The zoo scene actually was real, believe it or not. Like they, they messed oh, wow. up whenever they did it. Uh they, so they couldn't get the baboons to do anything either. They were just kind of sitting around eating bananas kind of because uh, they'd been too used to humans being around them because it was kind of like a open-air wildlife preserve that they were driving through. And so Richard Donner was in the back seat with a handy cam kind of filming it uh, that way. And he had, and what they had done was that they, they, could, they had taken like a baby uh, first to kind of see if that would agitate the baboons. They didn't give a shit. Donner said that they could have took that baby and they would have gave no shits whatsoever that that baby was gone. So they were uh, trying to come up with another idea. And the veteran, there was a local veterinarian that was getting ready to do some surgery on a cut for the alpha baboon. And... He was like, listen, if you take the alpha, they'll go nuts. So what you should do is I got to trank the, the, the baboon anyways to get him in there for surgery. We'll trank him. You keep, you know, keep him in the car. They'll come after you. And oh, they did. Oh, shit. <laughs> they, they saw yeah. the alpha and they went crazy. They started, that's really legit, them rushing the car like that. That was just because their, their alpha had been stolen. The alpha, who was being held by a handler at the time, came awake in the middle of all this. Oh, because, shit. And, and, and Donner didn't even know it. He was he was telling, he was giving Lee Remick the orders, hold on, hold on, don't scream yet, hold on. And she was screaming regardless of what he said. And he said he looks, and the, the alpha baboon has got Lee Remick by the hair, pulling on it. That's why she's screaming in the scene because her hair's getting pulled by the baboon in the back seat. <laughs> this is fucking awesome. Little Harvey Spencer Stevens is actually screaming and crying for real because he's, you know, that it's Terrified really happening. Terrified for his little life. <laughs> Richard Donner says if you watch the scene and the images that he shot, it's so shaky because he was shaking because he, he, he was actually scared. And when he told her to drive, in the when she drives away in the movie, that's because he was like, drive, drive, get the fuck out of here, basically. I mean, so it's lucky they didn't actually run one over because they were legit trying to get the hell away from there. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and to make matters worse, they, they had to do pickup scenes. Well, the filmographer came to Donner later, and he's like, listen, you don't have enough to make this a full scene. And Donner was like, I'm not fucking filming that again. You go back yeah. and you do it. That's, that's how tore up he was about the scene. So the filmographer went back, and he was like, and he, and he, so he had to p film pickup scenes of the, you know, the baboons kind of prior to and a little bit after. And so he got this 
brilliant, quotation mark, idea to take a broom handle and kind of prod some of them with it. They surrounded him and the other and the cameraman, and they said that they came within a hair's you know breath of actually being fully attacked by the baboons, like in, in for real during that scene because yeah. when they were doing the pickup scenes, because he was so smart that he prodded them, but he said, "Hey, that's what you do for the business." But <laughs> so that zoo scene was a legit that you saw on camera what they legit filmed. That was, uh, you know, the equivalent of, you know, I mean, like, you know, even though it was a minor thing, like we talked about house of the devil when, uh, Jocelyn, you know, dropped the Walkman and they just left it in the film. That was the, that was the scene because they legit, that's the, how it went down. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I mean, let's be honest. Some of those scenes, like if you, when we were talking about Rosemary's baby, how Mia Farrow had to legitimately walk across a busy intersection in New York city. And the director was like, they're not going to hit a pregnant woman. So she <laughs> is just probably praying the whole time she's walking across. And that scene was just, I mean, it stands out. These scenes, you can tell, you can't legally do it now because I swear an actor will, like, sue for, you know, stress and pain <laughs> and suffering. I'm sure but, they will, yeah. But it, it obviously shows that when it's real like that, when you're not really acting, that they just come out to be some of the best scenes. I want to back it up just a smidge. Because okay. I want to talk about, and I don't think this interferes with your timeline that you have that you're going through, but... When the nanny didn't get Damien dressed for church, because obviously we know coming up that we're going to find out why, but she had some fucking balls. Oh, she pissed me off. Like, <laughs> she was like, when, when, when Catherine was like, Kathy was like, hey, have my son ready. And she's like, mm, he doesn't want to go to church. He wants to go to the park instead. Uh, I don't care if he's the son of Satan. You get that little hell. <laughs> That hell child ready, I'm taking him to church. But then the scene where he's beating the shit out of his mom as they arrive to the church, I actually thought that was a pretty exciting scene because I don't know. I mean, it looks like it was filmed pretty close. They probably were in the car with them. Oh, I I'm thought sure it was pretty were, well yeah. done. The mom getting her hair pulled, whoo, she really looked like she was getting her ass beat by that kid. <laughs> he probably was attacking them just like he attacked Donner. So it, it probably was a legit scene of him just, and you know, it's like, okay, here's this famous actor who played one of the most famous characters ever in film. Just attack him. You know, it's like one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> See her face? But, those are balls. I'm going to throw one thing in since we backed up a little bit and we're talking about the, the new nanny who was sent by the agency. Uh, a little bit behind the scenes, uh, they were just going to legit just like have her walk in and just have it like a non-issue in the movie. And David Seltzer, who wrote the part of the new nanny, was like, listen, I wrote this part of like them accepting the new nanny as like, you know, this everyday, you know, bubbly, you know, charismatic woman walking up to him and them just accepting her. You don't accept, and he wouldn't mean it as a slight to Billy Whitelaw, but he was like, you don't accept Billy Whitelaw as just walking up to your house. You you look at her, you don't just like, what what the fuck's this bitch doing here? You know, it's it's like, you know, it's it, it wasn't the same scenario that, you know, he had envisioned. So he told Donner, he's like, this isn't going to play right. He's like, you've got to have yeah. an explanation for why they would have her even in their house. And he's like, sure, add it as a bit of dialogue. So that that whole scene where you know we was referencing earlier about the agency that was all Seltzer writing that in because he's like they would never buy you uh, as an act you know the, the actress Billy you know walking in there and just yeah like, I got you know. some fucking questions and look at okay <laughs> what is his job title what what is he he is he working for the prime minister 
Uh, yeah, he's like an ambassador from the U.S. to the to the prime minister. I think is kind of what his okay. his title was. But you so don't get people like that just off the street. I mean, for somebody that oh, hired, yeah. they they've got to be vetted, and there's all kinds of other things that goes on. Exactly, that's exactly what I was getting at. Like somebody doesn't just walk in your house and say the agency sent me. You there needs to be channels <laughs> because you are. He is legitimately a higher up. His wife needs to be protected, and his child needs to be protected. So I don't care if you're Mary fucking Poppins, okay? <laughs> Let me. I need to get some information before you go see my child. And then she says, now. Here's my references. Can I see the boy now? Um, whoa, hold up for a minute. You're getting way ahead of yourself, ma'am. You need to step outside until I check these references. And they're like, sure, that, go ahead. I know they had to cut it, you know, to to make up for the film, you know, like the the running time and all that. But it, it's it's kind of humorous whenever you just think about your mind. It's exactly. Like this <laughs> it's like the previous nanny killed herself, so there's already some stigma there. This one lady walks in from nowhere. Who vetted her? Nobody. Uh, you know, at first Gregory Peck in the movie's like, okay, you can be the nanny, and then you know, then it's up to. You know, Lee Remick's character, Catherine, is like, oh, wait a minute. What are your credentials? Where did you come from? And, you know, at least that adds a little bit of credibility to it. But there still should have been like 15, 20 more minutes of, I mean, if it was, I mean, I know they couldn't film that. That'd be, you know, ridiculous to watch. But, like, if it was realistic, it would have been like 15, 20 minutes more like, okay, so where did you, who recommended you? Where's your references? I don't know that reference. Who's this? You know, it's like there's no way in hell they was trusting her right off the street like that. Or maybe not even that, but at some point he had contacted his quotation mark agency and said hey I need you to do a background check on her and then later on in the film as he's discovering weird shit he gets a phone call and they're like sir we don't know that woman she doesn't exist and then bum 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 suspense I guess if you want to add to the meta narrative of the movie you could say something to the effect of because they they hint that there's like this big group of conspiracy people that that you know originally gave you know that was at the church at the hospital at the beginning and and you know and uh, you know spoiler alert killed you know uh you know gregory pecks and leah remick's actual child uh after it was born and then swapped out you know and gave them damien if there was this cabal that was going maybe they had infiltrated also the agency whatever that is and that they were working with them but it's not apparent it's like something you've got to fill in on your own yeah i mean and i guess at the point we are, how deep we look into films, that's not an issue for us. Uh, people just, you know, casually watching this film, if it's on Turner Classic Films or whatever, they're going to watch this and be like, what the fuck? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to, just the next scene that I got to get into, because I have issues with this scene, you know, talking about the issues we had with that. Is uh, when Mrs. Thorne, you know, uh, is is up there. She's cleaning on the stairs or whatever. <laughs> we have the scene where the the evil nanny does her mesmerism, you know, on on little Damien, lets him loose on his track. He comes out there, knocks her over. I feel like this scene, uh, the way that they, I mean. I appreciate it, and, I, and here's the behind the scenes on it as far as how they filmed it. Of course, she didn't, you know, they couldn't fall or film her falling, so they had the they they added the goldfish, which is kind of an odd placement when you think about it. But they added it there specifically to give kind yeah. of the danger, you know, inherent in the scene. They legit dropped, a, you know, a goldfish bowl that far down so you could see the impact. 
And uh, to his credit, Richard Donner uh, came out. Uh, they had suggested that he just leave like the regular goldfish in the bowl. And he's like, okay, I'm not going to do that. There's no uh, person or animal going to get filmed on this, uh, you know, or going to get hurt on this film is, is, if I can help it. So he legit, uh, he, he, he had them remove the goldfish. They went out and got some sardines. They dried them out, painted them gold, and that's what they dropped. And, of yeah. course, they... They filmed her like they had built everything on a wall and they filmed her like moving toward the wall and then they zoomed in as she was to kind of add like the, as she was falling and it all works. But the problem is, is that they did this little weird like little twist that she does on the way down and it's oh, just yeah. so, and it, it, it's, 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 the impact is so, I mean, it's so minimal, and that little twist, it, it's so light that it just, it ruins it for me. It takes me out of the scene and it's just unbelievable. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. It was, I mean, sound effects would have been a little bit better, too. I mean, I'm trying to, you know, put away that this was in the 70s. <laughs> but, I mean, I've seen films where sound effects were everything, even when the actual visual was terrible. So, I guess that's just where I'm coming from with that. Yeah, it it was such a non, I mean, the imp, there's a scene later in the film where she, uh, Billy Whitelaw shows up at the hospital, Lee Remick falls out the, the hospital window and it crashes through the uh, ambulance and the doors open up and that's got so much impact and it's done so well that, I mean, and it's in the same movie that it just makes this scene stand out that much worse. It's just, it's that yeah. flip that she does. She's like, it's like, uh, and then she flips. That weird land and then, and then, then know, she lands on her side yeah. all perfect. I'm yeah, sleeping. There was some real goldfish they added in that little bit at the end, you know, that that you see flopping, but he only allowed them to be out for like 15 seconds while they filmed it, and they put them back up, so. Aww. If you like this episode of Death Holler, The Omen Part 2, please look out for our next episode, where we continue our review of The Omen. Death Holler is brought to you by Blue Collar BS, with your host, the Reverend Dr. Death and La Yarena. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share. We'll catch you next time. And don't forget to bring your death certificate 